Heavenly Father, we just thank you for bringing us together um, as uh, brothers and sisters and children of Christ and children of your uh, chosen ones. And we just thank you for your grace upon us and to allow us to be the recipient of your wonderful gift, grace, mercy, and love. And because your grace, we're able to be here and we have direct access to you and uh, the body come to the throne of grace to honor our knee and uh, to give thanks to you. And this is such a wonderful privilege. And uh, Father, it is trying time that evils are coming at different directions to assault us and try to take over this country to take away our freedom and uh, to isolate us. And we are thankful that there are many of uh, freedom fighters and uh, who believe in you and believe in uh, your teachings. And uh, they have stood up and gathered together and uh, coordinate and uh, to fight for our survival. And uh, as a result, this also become contagious to spread upon others who yet know you. And we just pray that this action and this trying time would gather more uh, toward you to open their eyes to know that you are indeed in control and uh, you indeed have the final authority. And may we understand this peace and uh, and get the strength and uh, being comfort. And as a result, we may comfort those around us. And uh, Father, we have many things to offer thanks and praise and also requests. And there are many unspoken requests and you know our hearts. And nonetheless, we offer our requests. Um, we also pray for uh, the current Iran's situation and uh, there are some evil things going on and evil force behind all those things to create an international crisis. We just pray that our election result to be settled and uh, so American can be the force that to stabilize not just United States, but also uh, the other part of the region in the world and made American to be uh, the shining beacon once again. And not just peace and prosperity, but also our belief in freedom. Most important thing is the freedom and you have given us through our constitution, which were inspired by Founding Fathers believe in you. Father, we just thank you for all the wonderful gifts you have shared upon us. And your grace is always sufficient for us. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you, Lewis. We have so much to be thankful for, and uh, the times may be trying indeed, especially for those right in the heat of the battle, right? But uh, the Lord God is there to comfort those that know him and who walk in the path that he's set for them. Many fearlessly, some with some fear and intrepidation, but uh, knowing that the Lord God is with them. So what a blessing to have promises that uh, give us understanding of how God is working today. Well, today we will give an overview of the entire letter, first letter to Timothy. If I were to put a title on it, and that's quite challenging, actually, uh, it would be just four words. These four words. Man of God, flee. <laughs> that's a quotation, of course, but, uh, <laughs> oh, man of God, flee. Paul's words to Timothy, right? So surely the circumstances were difficult and would be even more difficult. And so Paul felt constrained. He was on his last missionary journey when he wrote this letter. Timothy was stationed in Ephesus, normally with Paul, but uh, assigned to that church, which was a growing and leading church in the area and uh, in which there were many issues, many practical issues. And so the first letter to Timothy is extremely practical. And yet in this letter, we have truths that are not only eternal, but are just absolutely uh, astounding, really, when you consider how Paul writes about them. So I want us to uh, look at that again today, just so we all have well in mind what he's written to Timothy there. And that'll provide a foundation for our studies then in Second Timothy, which all of which is so relevant to our circumstances today. Um, so let's begin. There's really seven, there's six chapters, but there's seven points here. <clears throat> um, the first is this. And remember, these are all exhortations to Timothy but sometimes through Timothy to others, they may be leaders in the churches, uh, they're in Ephesus in particular, or they may be to the children of God in general and to ourselves. There's many lessons for us to be learned here, applications to be drawn, certainly. So what about that? Paul's uh, exhortations to Timothy. So <laughs> first of all, some have swerved from true doctrine, teaching not grace, but the law. Okay. <laughs> Some have swerved away from true doctrine, teaching not grace, but the law. Secondly, saved through childbearing, the promise of the seed always gives hope. <laughs> saved through childbearing, the promise of the seed always gives hope. Uh, Paul has major teaching concerning the women in the assemblies, the women in the church here in this letter. Thirdly, without controversy, great is the mystery 
of godliness <laughs> without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. And I consider that to be the pinnacle teaching uh, doctrinally here in this letter, apart from another, which is that uh, God is sovereign over all and has reflected that sovereignty in the creation and in his institutions for mankind, right? Fourthly, in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. And this is stated as something so significant that uh, Timothy's entire life and ministry will be focused upon this and what the proper response is to it, to this departure from the faith. Uh, fifthly, honor widows that are widows indeed, desolate and trusting in God. Widows indeed, desolate and trusting in God. Honor them. Again, a focus on women. It's interesting that between these two practical sections, Paul states that glorious teaching uh, about um, the great mystery of godliness teaching, right? Sixthly, the challenge for all seasons is to lay hold on eternal life. Laying hold on eternal life, most critically important. And then finally, Timothy's final challenge here in this letter, to keep the faith and the trust. Keep the faith and the trust, dear Timothy. Okay, so first of all, some have swerved from true doctrine, teaching not grace, but the law. Um, let's begin by Ben. If you'd read for us, please, these seven verses here. Uh, in First Timothy chapter one, verses one through seven. Yes, <clears throat> Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my son, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As he besought thee to abide still Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge them that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ben. So just in a nutshell, what do we have here? Paul was set forth to be our example um, or type. The word type is actually used in the Greek. Our type, our example for the dispensation of grace. Okay. And uh, that dispensation is the one that's distinguished by being by faith alone, right? Stands on faith alone, not works, right? And yet there would be those who would turn away from the true doctrine and they would promote works. And they would uh, promote works to the destruction of the faithful. For, certainly, since grace is uh, how God is working today, anyone who preaches works is going to be conflicting with that most critical teaching, right? 
And anyone who buys into those lies, those satanic lies, will suffer spiritual defeat and destruction, right? So uh, Paul exhorts Timothy here. He says this is going to be the major, major issue. That's how he opens the letter. And what's at the beginning of a letter and, and what's at the end, as we've always said, are most critically important for the overall teaching. Now, what he's writing here uh, is an exhortation for that current time and the times in which Timothy would soon find himself, right? And, uh, and yet um, it's been true all along throughout this dispensation of grace. The opposition has been on every side uh, thwarting the plan of God to whatever extent Satan is able to do so. He has limited knowledge, but nevertheless, he has great influence and power, and his lies are extremely well-crafted. And uh, how well-crafted they are is illustrated uh, a little later there in chapter 2, when Paul writes about the Garden of Eden and what occurred there, right? <laughs> uh, so... There will be constant spiritual warfare. That's the implication of these first uh, verses. Uh, no one should be surprised. Certainly, Timothy shouldn't. And it's been that way ever since, right? Um, then there are more things here in this chapter. In verse 16 and 17, Paul writes this. He says, For this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern, that's that word type translated, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. So Paul's a pattern. He's to be uh, observed carefully and he's to be imitated, right? And in him, Christ himself was showing forth what he calls here all long suffering. <laughs> We should meditate on that a bit, huh? All long suffering. And then he uh, exclaims in verse 17, it's like all a part of the same, same thought, same breath, he might say. Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So that sets the stage for the exhortation in the next two verses uh, about Warfare, he says to Timothy, by them, meaning prophecies that had been already given concerning Timothy, by them thou mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which many, having put away concerning the faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Two are mentioned by name. That's significant. They're to be held up as examples of Satan's disciples, Hymenaeus and Alexander, uh, by name given here. And those names go down in history, don't they? In his second letter to Timothy, chapter 2, Paul mentions another person. He mentions Alexander again there. And he mentions a third named Philetus. And I think mentioning the names underscores the seriousness of the challenge that Timothy faces. 
there were those that needed to be singled out by name. What Paul is really doing here is, is laying a foundation for Timothy to understand how critically important it is for him to wage warfare boldly and directly uh, against the evil that presents itself. And they will be right in the church and in the churches. And so he mentions them by name. Separation from those that promote evil doctrine is therefore critical to the health and well-being of the church of God. Compromising in that area is not going to bring the blessing of God. So that's a, a sober, very sober teaching, one that needs to be taken to heart. It is not being taken to heart in our current day in many places, it seems, but it is certainly in some. And I would hope and pray that we're on that side and not the other, right? Okay, so that's uh, the first uh, chapter. Um, some have swerved away from true doctrine, Timothy's, because they're teaching not grace, but the law. That means works are right in the center of their teaching, and that's exactly where most teaching is today, works. In nearly every Bible study I am in, that's uh, being led by others, the focus seems to always end up being on works. Sometimes it starts on works and ends on works. It's just really a sad thing, but it's true. Okay, um, the second chapter is uh, all about women. And so the way I titled that was Saved Through Childbearing, the Promise of the Seed Always Gives Hope. Hmm. Uh, so let's read that. Patty, can you read that for us, please? First Timothy <laughs> chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. Let the let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing, if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Thank you. So the Creator's authority over all of his work uh, is a continuing theme here in this letter. And uh, <laughs> that these teachings have become a thorn in the side of many is so sad uh, because uh, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. If we take the context carefully in mind, we'll be delivered from the issues that normally are raised regarding Paul's teaching here, where it's being taught in many places that Paul was uh, in some way or other uh, against women in general and certainly specifically as he outlines here. Well, Paul was not against women. What Paul was was for women, but to underscore his teaching properly and provide the right foundation, he has to go back to Genesis. He has to go back to the very, very beginning. And in fact, in chapter uh, two and three there, we see the teaching uh, laid out there in Genesis. Uh, 
I won't go into the whole teaching today. If you were with us uh, as we went through this carefully, you, you well remember it, I'm sure. But uh, but the point of it all here is that there was something that happened historically. And what it was, was that uh, Satan um, sought out Adam and Eve in the garden and uh, specifically attacked Eve and uh, led her into transgression. And the nature of the transgression of Eve was in large part really uh, against what her husband, who was the head of the woman, her husband had well instructed her. So uh, she chose to go contrary to Adam's teaching, contrary therefore to the revelation of God that God had provided to Adam for he himself and for his wife Eve for their living there in that perfect uh, environment, right? So Satan led Eve into the transgression. And God brought a judgment. He brought an incredible judgment on Eve and a greater, greater judgment upon Adam, however, um, because Adam was not deceived, it says here, but he was uh, well aware of uh, what he was doing as he partook along with Eve then of the fruit of the tree. Um, the woman was deceived. Now, there's so much behind this that Paul doesn't go into it. He, he doesn't, I think, because uh, Genesis doesn't give more than what's written here, right? But, but what he does say here in verse 15, he draws a conclusion. Uh, under the inspiring power of the Spirit of God, right? It says, notwithstanding... In other words, even though she led Adam and then uh, all of mankind into uh, trials and tribulations, right? Uh, but Adam himself was blamed ultimately. But still, uh, it says she shall be saved in, meaning through the childbearing that she would undergo. And then it says, if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Um, so there's an authority structure that God has set forth in the creation and certainly in Adam and then in Adam and Eve and in the marriage bond there. And God has set that authority structure in place and to go contrary to it involves going contrary to the Lord God and his rule over all that he has made, okay? It has serious consequences in this particular place we see that the consequences affected all that would be born of the woman, okay? But <laughs> there was a promise back there in Genesis uh, chapter 3, uh, and it, uh, in verse 15, involved the seed of the woman. Okay, so her conceptions, it says, would be increased, more children would be born than otherwise. And uh, they would be the vehicle in an amazing way, right? For the redemption of those that were now uh, sinners, right? And in a special way, a redeeming power for 
the woman. Okay, so that's really what that's all about in a special way. The seed of the woman doesn't say the seed of the man, right? Uh, interesting language indeed, and the whole redemptive plan of God is wrapped up in that language, okay? Okay, so when he says she shall be saved through childbearing, what is he really saying? Uh, I believe there, there are several aspects to it. First of all, uh, thinking of the ultimate uh, bearer of the seed of the woman whose name we well know to be Mary, <laughs> okay? And uh, she brought forth the, the actual seed of the woman, the Messiah, Israel's Messiah, uh, the Savior of the world, right? And our Lord. Okay, so that's the one aspect of it. But there's more even after, even after the seed of the woman that's prophesied there in Genesis 3.16 has been brought forth. It's still true, even when Paul writes to Timothy, it's still true, right? that she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and holiness. Okay, so this is a promise that has blessings that continue to flow. And those blessings are being missed by so many today who have bought into Satan's lies. To the contrary, right? That it is not through marriage and family that... Uh, <clears throat> Mankind is to be blessed, and in particular the women, right, who bear the children, uh, and, and in many ways are uh, the children's main focus in their early lives. Therefore, they have the greatest influence upon them, right? But uh, many today are missing out on these blessings of marriage and family, but into the lies being taught by our schools and our governments and even even leaders in the churches. How sad that is that so many believe these lies to their own spiritual destruction. Well, that's a powerful theme indeed, but then, oh, what's next? Oh my, I'm always overwhelmed to read the next uh, uh, chapter. And uh, the subject here is using the very words uh, of the apostle paul without controversy great is the mystery of godliness uh, linda please read from first timothy chapter 3 verses 15 and 16. but if i tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of god which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Thank you, Linda. Oh, my God, manifest in the flesh. Five words that kind of stand uh, above it all. Uh, oh, my. Um, well, he calls this teaching the mystery, right? The mystery of godliness, or, or one could say the godliness, the one, the, let me start over, the mystery, the one which is of godliness, or the godliness mystery. Um, I think that's the actual word order in the original. So, this is a great, 
great teaching. It's in fact he says it's a great mystery, and he even says it's without controversy. <laughs> well, that doesn't mean there aren't controversies continuing on forever regarding it. There are. It's just that there shouldn't be any controversies regarding this. It should be accepted by all. Okay. Uh, but let's ask the question, and we certainly looked into this earlier in our studies, but uh, what is this mystery? Perhaps we have uh, drawn conclusions too quickly. We may think that this is simply the truth of the incarnation. Is it truly just, just the incarnation that this is all about? I would say no, because it's called a mystery here. But the incarnation was revealed in both the Old and in the New Testament in prophecy, right? So the word mystery refers to what has not been revealed in prophecy. And until it is revealed, there's no way to know about it. So uh, what is this mystery of godliness? Certainly it's founded in the incarnation, but I think there's far more there. And to see it, we went to Colossians chapter 1. And uh, I'll just read a couple of verses there. He says, uh, concerning the mystery, this is Colossians 1.26, the mystery which was hidden from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is... Christ incarnated? No, no, he doesn't say that. He says, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Okay, so Paul's message is to preach. It doesn't say simply Christ. It says Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, so the mystery that he's writing about here is the same mystery revealed earlier uh, called the mystery of godliness. Okay, interesting language. Uh, there are many other places Paul writes about it. I'm not going to go into it now at length, but uh, certainly Christ was raised from the dead, a life-giving spirit. You remember that from 1 Corinthians 15, we all as believers today possess him in a real sense. He was the life-giving spirit. We now possess him, Romans chapter 8. And we have newness of life, Romans chapter 6, right? And also, as a result of this, the angels are very carefully watching over us uh, because we're manifested manifesting the mystery of godliness to the world, right? And to angels. Paul mentions those elect angels in uh, chapter 5. We already uh, considered that another time here together. So these are totally transforming truths to consider. It's no wonder that Satan's efforts are so focused against us. And I'll give you a little, uh, little homework assignment. We don't have time to read it now. I'd sure love to do it, but... Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 17, 1 Corinthians 4, 8 through 17, Paul uh, writes about how God has set him forth 
as a spectacle, the word is theater in the Greek, as a theater unto the world and to angels and to men. And he, that's where he says we're fools for Christ's sake and so forth. And then at the end of that section, he says to, uh, he says, I've sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. So uh, that's great to read as background material for First Timothy here. Paul writes about Timothy as the one who would carry on Paul's teaching and uh, that he would uh, instruct the believers as to how to imitate Paul. Of course, as he imitates the risen and ascended Christ. Well, this is really practical teaching. The highest teaching imaginable is made very practical. And so Paul then gets back to the issue of the church there in the next section where he says, in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. Okay, uh, Lisa, please read that for us. First uh, Timothy chapter four, verses one and two. Now, now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience, conscience seared with a hot iron. Thank you, Lisa. <clears throat> well, it seems that Paul is talking about a future time which will be very distinctive and different from the time that has gone before, calls it here the latter times. Uh, really, uh, a following on kind of season would be a, kind of a fair paraphrase. But um, how is it to be distinguished? A departure from the faith. What's the faith? The body of doctrine, the pure doctrine that Paul <laughs> has been charged with uh, supplying uh, to the churches, right? So uh, he calls them here, these false teachers, he calls them uh, those who have been seduced by spiritual powers and uh, demonic teachings, demonic doctrines, okay? So there's no hope for them. He says their conscience is seared with a hot iron. So <laughs> if you know some like this, uh, don't spend much time with them. They're uh, totally... Uh, captured by Satan's lies, right? Um, there are a lot of places we could go to get some further understanding about this, but, but one thing is clear. Timothy was already going to be faced with this sort of challenge and already was to a degree, and that's why Paul has written the letter to him, right? There were many challenges already. And I, I think that this is to be expected that it would continue on and on and on. It wasn't only for some special time called the latter times. In fact, I believe that when Paul writes about latter times, he's writing about the whole dispensation itself. Uh, and why would he call these times latter times? I think because the whole dispensation is just a parenthesis inside of the prophetic plan <laughs> for all time, right? Uh, it's like God wants to get on with wrapping the plan up, and so he calls these times we're living in 
latter times. <laughs> That's uh, at least uh, one way you could look at it, and I think it's a reasonable way. Um, so to summarize this, great work of God going on today, right? Um, it is the mystery of godliness that is at work, and uh, that is uh, an incredible work. The resurrected Christ is uh, working out in and through us that which is glorifying to God. And it's the direct antithesis of what Paul calls the mystery of lawlessness. So the mystery of godliness on the one side, the mystery of lawlessness is Satan's response on the other, right? It's no wonder that when you convey the truths of grace, there's a great amount of opposition. In fact, the opposition is fierce, so fierce when it occurs, we cannot even believe it. Friends have become enemies overnight. Okay, uh, we have much experience there. Okay, well, after those high teachings, you might consider them to be, uh, how can he become practical again? Well, he immediately dives right back into the practical circumstances that Timothy faced. And the next section is on widows. Uh, okay, uh, Lydia, would you please read 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. Honor widows that are that are widows indeed, but if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show pity at home and requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. Now that she is a widow indeed and desolate, trusteth trust, trust in, in God and continueth in supplications and prayers in night and day. Thank you, Lydia. Thank you very much, Lydia. Very good. Okay, so there are issues in the church. There are widows that need to be cared for. They have no means of support if they're widows indeed, okay, meaning they have no one else to support them. And also he adds other qualifications, uh, right? So even if they're widows indeed, they need to uh, have proven themselves uh, in being uh, those that would uh, spend their, the rest of their lives in ministry uh, in the church to the Lord God, right? And so Paul says, you need to single them out, Timothy, and the church needs to be responsible for them. It's a major teaching here in this section. So again, Paul is singling out women and indicating here how they are to be blessed within the fellowship, right? Um, that this follows that exalted teaching is really uh, something to take note of indeed, right? Okay, the sixth point then is that the challenge for all seasons is to lay hold on eternal life. <laughs> Sarah, would you please read First Timothy chapter 6, verses uh, 17 through 19. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. 
laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Thank you. Well, there's so much here to consider, uh, but we don't have time to go far into it. We've already done that. So let me just say this as we proceed. Um, there's a big question, I think, that stands before us today, and that is, is the mystery of godliness that Paul says here is supposed to lead the rich into not clinging to their riches, but rather clinging to eternal life, right? Uh, is that guiding and leading and empowering us to do the same, right? Are we laying hold on eternal life? And if we are, what is the consequence of that for our lives? Many in our nation are truly rich indeed compared to uh, those that Paul is writing to here. Uh, but um, are we taking it that seriously? Much food for thought here. Okay, well, this final point then is concerning Timothy's final challenge, which is to keep the faith and the trust. To keep the faith and the trust. And there's no better way really to end this, I would say, than that. So, Sarah, would you please read 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 20 and 21? O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. Thank you, Sarah, so much. So final words to Timothy in this letter. Keep the faith and the trust, Timothy. And, uh, and he says, uh, you know, he doesn't leave it aside, doesn't just pass over it, doesn't say, well, you've already addressed it enough that some have turned aside and uh, have, have led many astray. He, does, he, he, he focuses on that right at the end. You could say it's a relatively a negative ending, indeed, right, for such a letter as this. And yet, he says what's most important for Timothy to know. Timothy, there's nothing more important for you than this. Keep the faith. Doesn't mean be faithful. Well, it does, but it's far more than that. It means keep the body of doctrine pure and make sure you are the one who communicates it to all that the uh, Lord brings in contact with you, okay? It's a trust. It's to be secured always, no matter what, no matter who comes against you, even those that claim to have great knowledge and wisdom, and even, uh, as it says here, uh, science falsely so-called. Uh, the dangers of turning aside from that sacred body of truth uh, are just so great indeed. And we see the evidence in our nation and in our world, do we not? So he finally ends with grace because that is uh, the eternal theme. Grace indeed is a glorious theme, as uh, that great book says, it has that very title. Grace the Glorious Theme by Lewis Sperry Chafer. Get it if you can and read it. It's an excellent book. Uh, 
Paul mentions grace at the end of his letter is 14 times, and he mentions it at the beginning of nearly all of his letters as well. Um, so it's the central theme of everything that Paul writes. Well, what shall we conclude from this? Is this just a personal letter to Timothy, or does it relate to us? How does it relate? What's the application, right? I think that should be clear what the application is. Um, Paul, if he had more time or space, maybe it was a small piece of parchment, um, but uh, he would have written about many other practical issues in life too, right? And in the churches, but he didn't need to. I think he covered ones that were significant and he certainly communicated truth that's supposed to be relevant to every circumstance of life. Even the circumstances you are in these days and I am in, right? Or our nation is in. And uh, I took a uh, sideline and focused on uh, in sort of a mini series entitled Prisoners of Hope to focus on that, right? It was mostly in relationship to Paul's teaching on women there in chapter two. But uh, we read from Zechariah chapter nine, didn't we? Where, uh, believers are called prisoners of hope. Even in times of great trial, it is our hope that carries us through whole spiritually. Okay? We are prisoners of hope. Do you believe it? Well, let's enjoy the Lord. Even if you chose to turn aside, it would still be true that you're prisoners of his eternal hope as those that have trusted in the Lord God, right? And the sufficiency of his grace. So praise God. I find this letter to be, I have no words for it. It's just really quite overwhelming. I hope it's been that way for you too. Praise God. Well, are there any comments? Before we close today. Hi, Jim. Uh, thank you for the, uh, the wonderful message. I just want to make a really quick comment on the uh, beginning of the first Timothy. It's a chapter four, and there's a really goofy translation there, and they talk about the godly edifying. And by the Greek, it actually means dispensation of God. And right. this is tie, tie in very, very closely to the previous verse as a teach no other doctrine. Yes. yes. <laughs> okay. So this reminds me one of the episode and uh, Sarah uh, used to have this uh, friend, this girl. Her grandfather was a pastor. Okay. And yet during some casual conversation, she was talking about she never heard of dispensation of God. I found out that was uh, such an irony there. Mm -hmm. Yes. Her uh... father was a pastor. Yeah, I intended to mention that uh, and just uh, skipped over it. Yes, absolutely. Verse number four uh, is uh, a statement about the dispensation of God, the one which is of faith. Yes, indeed. Amen. And that's how he opens the letter, right? And he indicates those who who are uh, who are refusing that teaching will emphasize works of law and isn't that exactly what we see right 
Okay, thanks so much. I wish I hadn't missed that as we began today, but I did. Thanks, Lewis. Any other comments today? Excellent. Okay, any other comments before we close today? Okay, let's let's close in prayer. Our Father, we're thankful. We're so thankful, Father, that you've blessed us so greatly with your word. And it's through your word, Father, and the work of the Spirit to lay that on our hearts and to teach us by it that we have this hope and that this hope uh, carries us through, right? We are prisoners of hope. And to see that not as a negative, but as a positive is so precious, so wonderful, that your good hand rests upon us. I love to think of it that way, Father, uh, your good hand rests upon us and you work all things together for our good. So Father, I pray that we would be confident that we'd continue to be uh, not fearful, but uh, resting in this great hope to know that you are the one who's sovereign. You have all things under your control and you raise nations up, you take them down, you set leaders in place, you remove them. Uh, you have a plan that uh, is glorious indeed, and it will be brought to its conclusion in due time. Thank you, Father, that we're even in our day uh, encouraged to redeem the time that we might uh, enjoy this uh, time you've given us, right? Because otherwise the days will be evil and we'll be engaged in things that are not honoring to you. So, Father, thank you. May each one here today in the sound of my voice and all those that listen in later, may they be encouraged and strengthened in the most holy faith. Thank you, Father, for the pure doctrine. May we never turn aside from it. And may it build us up each day and each hour. And uh, may we be lights in this darkness, Father. This darkness, of course, can never extinguish that light. And so praise your name, Father, and thank you again in Christ's name. And, and amen. amen.